Hello, everybody. Hi, Internet. Mike and Andy here. We're so glad you're uh, with us, uh, whatever day you are listening to this. We um, are coming at you from the Braille World headquarters of Vox, but usually it's the home office. Today, however, we are coming to you from the master bedroom of the uh, home office or of the uh, of the world headquarters in uh, in Brea. This is where the magic happens. It's a bit awkward to have Mike and Andy crammed together in our master bedroom with the door shut <laughs> and locked. I feel like I'm in the lion's den right now. Oh, well. <laughs> I'm um, channeling Daniel. Yes. Yes. Yes, my wife my wife's more of a cougar, but okay. Um no, uh, we, um, Andy, as you know, as the parent of a child, a beautiful child with Down syndrome, uh, they can be a bit of a handful. And, uh, and so Seth Erie, God bless Seth Erie, a week ago, uh, took Nate's, he's our oldest son, he's 13, he took Nate's electric toothbrush, shoved it down the toilet without telling anybody, and it jammed, it jammed the toilet up, and it overflowed, uh, into three different rooms and uh, into carpet, into hardwood floors. And, and so we, uh, having spent almost $2,500 now mm-hmm. uh, with loads of, of high-powered fans and a dehumidifier and stuff that whisks away moisture from the floors, um, it's, a, it's a bit loud. It's yeah. a bit loud down in the home office. The home office was one of the things that got, got, some, uh, got some water in it, which... Mm. Um, it's tragic. I mean, let's be honest. Who care? Who cares about the bathroom? Who cares about Nate's bedroom that got water in it? It's the home office that is really of utmost importance. So, we are coming at you uh, upstairs, locked in a room, hopefully away from the noise of uh, <laughs> of like eight fans and a dehumidifier and just all sorts of crazy things. So, Seth, Seth, this op, this episode is brought to you by the letter S hmm. uh, for Seth. Yeah. Um, or the letter E for expensive. Or soaking. Uh, or the letter S for soaked. <laughs> yes, and soaking. Um, so anyway, we are, uh, we're glad to be coming at you. We, what we want to do is we want to respond to a couple of things that have happened uh, in the last several podcasts. Number one, we did a podcast, uh, I think it was last episode, where we engaged with a young man uh, uh, who we christened Jeremy. Mm-hmm. Um, and in honor of the Pearl Jam song. And um, clearly I remember picking on the boy, seemed a harmless little, uh, that's all um, That's all the song. But um, <laughs> uh, he is 20, he is a gay man, he is a Christian man, and he, he had some, uh, uh, some feedback for us regarding an early episode that we did in the Vox podcast. And so, so we know it's not fair to not have somebody else in the room. But uh, he was gracious to let us read his letter uh, and uh, to respond to it, even though he was not here. And uh, so he wrote another long email, and I asked, hey, can I share this one? And he said, absolutely. So thank you, Jeremy, for this. We really appreciate it. He starts off uh, the letter. uh, So this will be part one of of what we got to cover today. And then there's another part, and then that may turn into another part podcast. So All we'll right. see. So so anyway, this is what he says. He says super awesome seismic mic. Right? Which we rebuked him a little bit because he'd found us during the science mic episode and uh, did not refer to me by my self-chosen name of seismic mic. Right. So now thank you thank you Jeremy for making that correction. And and the reason I wanted to read this part was so that you could hear his reaction to what we said even though um he's very kind to us. Uh, we wanted to give him the last word on uh, on that conversation. So yeah. just to just to be respectful. So he just said, uh, just finished listening to your podcast. I was kind of on edge, preparing myself for whatever deep theological arguments you would throw at me. Hmm. Oh, and we had him ready, man. They were we we had the deep theological argument cannon aimed and ready. <laughs> and at the last moment, no, we didn't. He said, I was pleasantly surprised you didn't accuse me of not being a Christian. You didn't throw out any complex arguments. You were so gracious throughout the podcast. Not something most LGBT um, Christians and our allies are used to, and I wish more non-affirming Christians were like you. Uh, I obviously still don't agree with a lot, and I'm still not convinced that the non-affirming position is entirely consistent, or I wouldn't have the options I do, or the opinions I do, excuse me. But rather than argue against you, I would much prefer to see you argue with those who agree with you and bring them to a kinder, loving place. Mm. So, so I love that. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Uh, so thank you. Thank you. I'm glad, I'm glad it came across that way. 
Um, and obviously there is a, is a, a, a huge and important place for the theological um, discussions. Whoops, that was an email. Um, there, there's, and, and we don't want to minimize the fact that there are deep and very real um, theological differences between the affirming and non-affirming camps. But um, uh, I, I do think that the, 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 that we go to those first and, and most often and most frequently and, and most significantly, uh, I think, you know, that the, the ground has been hashed uh, so many times before. So I'm, I'm, I'm really glad, uh, my brother, that you didn't feel attacked. Uh, he continues, he said, you asked a question at one point in the podcast, something like, if Jesus were to call you to celibacy, would you obey? My answer is yes, I would. I would strive to do the best of my ability to do whatever Jesus asked me to do. As a teenager, after praying the gay away didn't work, I thought that was my only option. Fortunately, or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it, <laughs> I fell in love with one of my friends in high school. I had never had a real all-caps crush before. I knew what it was to objectify someone lustfully or to simply think someone was nice to look at. But even as a gay person, I don't remember wanting to kiss another boy or to show romantic affection until I met this person. I thought, oh, so this is what all my friends feel towards the girls they like. I think the reason... For that was even though I was attracted to other guys, I'd never been exposed to that sort of thing. So it wasn't even in my emotional range, if emotional range is even a thing. <laughs> I love that. This crush ultimately led me to a deep depression. I totally got pissed off at God and told him off for the curse he put on me, which, you know, is a lot of um, uh, uh, the, 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 the gift of sexuality doesn't feel like a gift all the time, right? Biblically, right. it's a gift, but wow. Um, heterosexual and homosexual alike, uh, homosexuals obviously more deeply. Um, it, so that's a worthy conversation to talk about. Is this a gift or is this a curse? Um, so totally understand that. He said, um, then I had this experience of the Holy Spirit that answered none of my questions, but the Spirit was just simply present. Before, I had only ever experienced God as an angry accuser. My pastor used to shout faggot, from the pulpit, which there's a classy guy, and I always sort of internalize that's how God is, mm -hmm. which, oh, my friend, I'm so sorry about that. I mean, your parents and then this church, um, God looks a lot like Jesus, and that's good news. Uh, he continues, he says, this experience opened me up to the possibility that there was more than one path to choose. I would also like to clarify something a little more about what I said about Jesus. I don't think Jesus would approve of same-sex relationships, but I also don't think uh, same-sex relationships in his day were analogous to gay marriages today. In fact, I don't think Jesus or any ancient Jew had a similar construct to our gay, straight, or bi paradigm. Just thought I should make that clear because I don't want it to appear that I think Jesus' opinions are irrelevant. I just want to take them in context. I believe Jesus is alive today, and as the glorious, or the glorified, victorious word, I tend to think his human mind has also been glorified and now knows all things. If, however, prior to his ascension, Jesus were to teleport to modern times and learn about the existence of LGBT people and the variety of very different lifestyles we all have, I think he would have done what you and I have done, which is go on a theological journey of our own. I think he'd be probably, or he would probably be affirming in the end. My own experience of Jesus in my life is that he doesn't like answering any questions in a direct way. Ha <laughs> ha! <laughs> yes, which is when you read the Gospels, that's so like him. Yeah, yeah. that's exactly yeah, that's right. Exactly that's like exactly. Him. Now, I might be wrong. Maybe Jesus has told me a direct answer, and he's definitely not for it. Maybe I just don't have ears to hear it this time. I'm not all that smart, and I'm pretty stubborn, so it's beyond the range of or, so it's not beyond the range of possibilities. But that could be true of non-affirming uh, folks too. Right, man. What a great Jeremy. What a great humble posture in this whole thing yeah i'd say you're pretty smart saying saying you're not smart i don't think is consistent here yeah you use some good words yeah you use some good words at 20 man i had i you know i liked guns and roses I mean, that's <laughs> that was all i was doing <laughs> well that, that says and a lot and, and this kid's like reading it says it does say a lot uh he's writing like tr treatises and uh so anyway um bro you're very very articulate so thank you for um for the way that you express yourself. And and I love, I just absolutely love, because I think everybody has to hold the possibility that we could be wrong. Mm -hmm. um, 
And, and that's why we have to hold our opinions with gentleness and kindness, because it is possible um, that, that, that we're incorrect. So uh, I also wanted to say I liked your suggestion about communities where both groups, affirming and non-affirming, can be in relationship with one another. This sounds kind of like Tim Otto's third way position. He's an affirming gay pastor, but also celibate for the sake of his church. And uh, so Tim Otto wrote a book called Oriented to Faith, uh, which I've read. I'm, I'm now going through it another time. And it is a very different take on uh, this whole conversation. So I'd recommend it for a perspective that is seeking to transcend the affirming, non-affirming sort of binary thing we've got going. He said, you also made a very good criticism of me. Now, I don't remember doing this because I certainly wasn't intending to be critical of you. I was thinking about this earlier, he says. I was talking to a very close cousin, and we were talking about her brother who just came out as gay to her, and she mentioned in passing that she thought it was a sin, but she loves her brother. Then she asked me if I'm gay, and I immediately tensed up and even got a little angry. I thought, nope, I know exactly where you're going to go with this and what you're going to say, and I don't even need to open myself up to that. I think I was being too judgmental now that I think about it. I do tend to want to separate myself from folks because of their opinions on these things. And that's probably not good, not very Jesus-like. Wow. Well, first of all, I don't blame you for wanting, for based on what your parents have done and what your pastor has done, I don't blame you for wanting to... Um, uh, separate yourself from from those that that maybe are not as affirming uh, at all or as uh, as affirming as you are, but the fact that you're even engaging with us says uh, you're not living in an echo chamber. So yeah, uh, I, I don't. I, I think it, it, it. I think it really depends on it, it, how uh, a position is held as much as the position itself. So if we're getting life from being right. Uh, those are the most dangerous kinds of people. Um, so anyway, and then and then you said, uh, also enjoyed the podcast episode and also like your podcast on politics because your conservative listeners will probably not be surprised to know that how they feel about Obama is a wimp-ass version of the disdain I feel for Donald Trump. I say that in Christian love, Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jeremy, you've got the last word on this, my friend. Now, obviously, we're going to have, I mean, there's so, there's so many different nuances, but we're so grateful that there are people like you who are willing to engage with us um, and uh, to bring nuance, to bring perspective, to, uh, to disagree. I mean, man, this is how it should go. And uh, so, so blessings to you. Thank you for listening. Um, a deep theological argument we could certainly uh, engage in, but it's, it's, been, um, it's been rewarding to hear your experience only because it reinforces my conviction that um, the way the non-affirming position has been held and expressed has been absolute death, um, in some cases literally, uh, to many in the LGBTQ community. And, um, and so is it possible if Jesus held the non-affirming position, which of course uh, is very debated, and you raise questions about that yourself, how would Jesus have held that position? And um, how would he have treated people uh, that he disagreed with. Um, and, and we just think there's loads of stuff in the Gospels. Uh, and, and there are scholars that are making your side uh, of, of the, the case too, which is, you know, the, the, the constructs of gay, straight, bi, queer, um, the gender identity issues, all of those things um, weren't uh, known to first century Jews. And so the church is really left to either falling back into its historical position on these issues or to adapt or to find a third way. And so this is thus the craziness of the conversation. So Jeremy, blessings to you and, uh, and thank you for listening. Uh, we also uh, had the privilege of engaging with our friend Godless. Mm -hmm. And since we haven't engaged with him in a couple of weeks, I've been Godless-less, which... <laughs> Which would mean I'm godless. full of God? Uh, yeah. Yeah. God, <laughs> maybe I'm God full. Um, God full speaks. No. Um, so, so per our, uh, the ending of our conversation, Godless got fired up about a couple of things and threw some stuff out there. And, and I know there were people going, oh, come on, you got to respond to that. And, and, and we didn't um, because the goal was to hear his story and his perspective and, 
uh, man, if, if you want arguments, I mean, there, there are master debaters and go to YouTube and, and type in theist versus atheist and you've got zillions of talking points. What I was more interested in is um, just the inside story of how somebody goes from being a believer to being, a, in his words, an agnostic atheist. Um, or an uh, an atheist uh, agnostic, however however yeah. is best uh, the best way to describe that. So so, but we said towards at the very end, um, we said, hey, let's give this some thought, and uh, and uh, let's respond to it. Now again, if he's in the room, this is an entirely different conversation, and so th- th- I hope that he hears this um, and and everyone else does in, in the following spirit. I don't believe that anything I'm going to say uh, is going to convince um, Godless that, uh, that he is wrong. And, and I, don't, I, I don't know that there's something Godless could say that would shock me into atheism. And, and what I mean by that is, I think we're both, I hope we're both thoughtful enough people that have engaged the weaknesses or the perceived weaknesses in our own views. And so, so we're not going to be super surprised. Um, and, and so the goal of my responding to Godless isn't to convince Godless that he's wrong, but it's to make other kind of other points about how uh, atheists and theists can have conversations. Mm-hmm. And, and so, so I want to respond to some of the stuff. Uh, that he said, and again, it's unfair to do this because he's not in the room. He's speaking off the cuff. And so I tried not to prep much so that this would feel like me being off the cuff too, instead of just writing down a whole bunch of stuff. But there's some stuff he said that I, that I thought, okay, this is good. And I think these objections are held by uh, lots of people, mm-hmm. or, or at least um, lots of people are aware of them. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, well, let's spend some time on these. And, and again, I think we believe things for a whole bunch of different reasons. I think we believe things for intellectual reasons, but I also think we believe things for emotional reasons, re- reasons and prejudicial reasons. And, uh, and so we can put forth uh, philosophical arguments all day long and just talk past each other. But very often what we're believing is way more complex than that. It's not just, it, you know, he, as he was sharing, it wasn't just an intellectual journey, it was emotional journey, an existential journey as well. And so, so too would it be if he were to journey back and, and same with us. If we were to journey into atheism, that's not just an intellectual thing. That's a, there's some deep yeah. and, and webbed together complexity into that. So, so I wanna say first, to godless um dude you seem totally rad to use southern california language and i'm probably 20 (laughs) years out of date with how i talk southern california but that's i grew up in ohio so rad and stoked were kind of the words that were in use out here when i first moved out here and the movie rad probably made its way out to ohio and that's what no oh i've never even heard there i didn't realize there was a movie that was called rad is there really yeah it's like a it's like a, a bmx like bike movie Oh, it rules. <laughs> oh, of course it does. Yeah. Um, and in that movie, they drink IPAs, watch hockey. Now, IPAs like barely existed. Oh, neither did hockey in Southern California, except for the Kings. But that doesn't count. It does it. <laughs> so. So, OK. Actually, that was like the, that was like the, the, the pinnacle of the Kings era. So I take that back. I loved the Kings back then. Sorry. Okay. Tangent. Radless. <laughs> I'm now radless. Um, so. So uh, when I when when. And Godless, so I, so I want to affirm him for a couple of things. Number one, um, I love his agnosticism about his atheism. That he, he, I, he doesn't think there's a God, but he doesn't know for sure. But, but the evidence, however it goes, seems to indicate there is no God. So I love that. And he talked about how two things had really shaken his foundation. This book by Stephen Jay Gould, uh, Hens, Feet, and Horses, Toes, which if you're, if you're picking out a title for a book, that's not the, that's not the title you want to shoot for. <laughs> um, and, then, and then Angus Young, the picture of Angus Young being shown at a youth rally. And, and, but that was d- deeply symbolic of the fact that he, he was realizing he didn't fit yeah. into this thing. So I, and I also loved, absolutely loved how thoughtful he is about spiritual issues. I mean, he spends a lot of time, uh, well, I don't know this, but he seems like the kind of person 
who spends a lot of time thinking about wrestling through kind of some of the deep, the big deep questions. So I absolutely love that. And I share that in common. Um, absolutely. I love talking about this stuff. I love thinking about this stuff. So, so, uh, and even when I said, Hey, are, what, what are the things that kind of open you up to the possibility that maybe there's something bigger? I mean, I just loved that he was honest and, and said, yeah, well, yeah, there are things. And, and of course on, on, uh, in my view, in my heart, there are things that, that make me go, man, is this really, <laughs> are we sure about this? Yeah. And, and so, so I just love that all of that got out there. Mm. And can I say one more thing too? Like, I, yes. I feel like we definitely got a bit of a gift from him because he, um, on on our show, uh, he was incredibly graceful and incredibly warm about the entire thing. He he went on his show um, after the fact and and said uh, the same things about about being on it that he, the conversation was uh, warm and honest and it felt genuine to him and um, and he is a bit of an entertainer. You know, you hear him on other shows and that and like he you know he's got a, a wonderful, fun, energetic posture about about his view that is fun to listen to and all the while we've kind of been given this other side of him where he's he's kind of been vulnerable and unveiled some things to us and um I, i've really enjoyed that i've kind of taken that as privileged now that i've, I've listened to it a couple times and and kind of heard him on a few other things so <laughs> I, I have to say thank you on that yes yeah yes and um and, and just to to respond to the people who are unhappy with us for e- for either letting him on um, which there are, which there are some people who are unhappy with us, and or not responding. So it wasn't so much a debate as it was just letting him talk, and our asking questions. Um, wh- one of the things that I th- I see so lacking it's it's we had Tim Muehlhoff on mm-hmm. months ago, and he was talking about lo- looking for common ground. Well, that's what we're doing. Yeah, we're looking for common ground for crying out loud. You can't do that unless you're listening. And so, see, there's there's this Christian. I don't know what it is. I've been guilty of it in the past. Just the need to correct everything, or or to make sure we stand up for the Word of God. And I, I just, I don't know. I just don't see uh, that sort of uh, pressure um, when Paul is dealing with uh, with non-believing audiences. I just don't. I just don't see that. What Paul does is he looks for common ground. He quotes common, commonly understood, respected authorities, even though uh, it's just it's it's an interesting thing to me to have people object to. Well, how come you didn't answer this, or how come you didn't answer that? And to go well, uh, we can get there, but why why would you ever start there? Yeah. Right? Why would you ever start there? And I'm not I, I don't I'm not convinced that Godless is going to listen to this and go, oh man, you're right. I, I'm now a believer. Um, <laughs> I, I think it'll raise more questions and give him more ammo and I could respond to that and then I could go after him and, you know, I mean, this could kind of go on forever and it has, you know, for, for, uh, for several hundred years in terms of, uh, atheism versus theism. So all that is to say, um, here's why I'm not an atheist. All right. And, and there, and there are loads of reasons. There are emotional reasons. There, there are cultural reasons um, I, I've always had uh, an awareness of something. I, I didn't, I, I didn't start going to church until, um, you know, probably nine, 10. Um, I, I went to a church preschool, I think, but I just, I, I, I don't remember a time when I didn't believe there was something. And so, um, so, so I bring that to the table, but, uh, but I've also, uh, done some thinking about it, and th- there are all sorts of great philosophical arguments. Um, uh, but for me, the the argument, the argument form that I've always most resonated with is an argument form called inference to the best explanation, hmm. and, and it's one of the ways that science does its work. Um, you start with a set of data, and you um, hypothesize um, uh, about d- what can explain the data, and then you test the hypothesis and adjust as necessary because you have the data and 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 so you infer explanations what are the things that best explain the data and uh, and then you test those explanations against new data and see what happens and so so i i i come from a school of thought that calls itself common sense particularism um, th- there is a big uh, branch of philosophy called epistemology and it's the question of how you know something and 
Um, how do we know things? You know, is it through experience? Is it through rationality? Is it through empirical verification? I mean, is it through intuition? I mean, is it through revelation? I mean, these are all massively gigantic philosophical questions. And, um, and so, so particularism is contrasted with a view called Methodism, all right? And I don't mean like the religious denomination, but, but it, there, are two, there are two ways of, of trying to settle what counts as knowledge. Um, the Methodist view says, well, knowledge counts if it's, if it's been, um, uh, if the proper method to achieve knowledge has been used. So this is the scientific method, right? So okay, we don't that's talk, what I was going to ask. Yeah, yeah that, so, so the reason we call it the scientific method is because it's a method that we've seen produces knowledge about how the world really works. So it's the method that's the point. Particularism says it's possible for me to know things without knowing how I know them. Okay, so let me give you an example. I know that I'm the same person this morning that I was last night. Now, can I prove that? Well, I mean, proof in what sense? I, you could argue that, that um, I am uh, the product of a dream uh, of some alien race. You could argue that the Matrix was actually a true story and we're all <laughs> deluded by the machines. Yeah. Um, you could argue that, um, that, that uh, I'm physically not the same person and all that I am is physical. And so I'm not the same person I was because certain cells have changed. Um, some have been shed, some have been born, you know, however that works. I mean, you could make it, you could speculate that, uh, that in fact, I am not the same person I was last night, but I would hold the, the burden of proof would be on you to convince me that my common sense knowledge that, nope, I remember what I had last night, what I dreamt last night, what time I woke up, that I, that I've maintained a sense of personal continuity throughout my whole life. You could, you could say, yeah, but maybe someone implanted your memories and you were born two seconds ago. You could actually make that argument and some have. Hmm. And could I refute it? No, but the burden of proof is on you to override the common sense thing I think I know. Correct? Okay. So mm -hmm. common sense particularism says, listen, I don't know a lot of things. I don't know how I know a lot of things. But it seems like I know things. Now, you can abuse this view, no question about it. But remember, we're not making an argument that just simply says, well, I know God, so therefore God. Um, I, know that, I know that God exists. I mean, Mormons, our Mormon friends make that argument. I've just had this uh, personal experience of God. Uh, and they'll appeal to personal experience. No, this is not what we're saying. It's just that we're trying to answer the question, what, what set of data do we begin with? And then which hypothesis that God exists or that God does not exist best explain the data that we think we know? Okay. So, for instance, I think I know um, that, uh, that I have some sort of moral intuition. I have some sort of morality. I feel guilt. I feel shame. Um, I feel altruism. I feel compassion. Uh, and, and, and one of the great uh, boasts of evolutionary psychology is that we can explain how those fit in evolutionary terms. But it seems like even, even when Godless is speaking, Godless is offended by things. Um, Godless is objecting to God on moral terms, right? One of his big arguments was, listen, God, what's recorded in the Old Testament is awful. And if Jesus mm. validates that, right. then Jesus is awful too. And, um, and so, so, so one of the things that I think I know is that I'm a moral creature. I, I'm making judgments all the time on myself and other people about right, wrong, good, bad. I think I, I, think I know that I'm free, that, that I'm raising my hand right now. Both hands just went up right then. And I had no idea five minutes ago I was going to do that. Was I constrained by something in the exercise of that freedom? Am I only the products of the chemical processes that spurred on that? Or am I something bigger than the chemical processes and the neurons that are firing and the atoms that are being rearranged and the cells that are, you know, am I bigger than that? Do I exercise some sort of a power or agency over that uh, when I'm exercising and I don't want to? There seems to be something called a will that's different than my muscles that are crying out that I can that I can use to override what my muscles are telling me. That seems like so so it seems like I'm I have some sort of freedom. It seems I have some sort of sense of morality. It seems like I can think 
um, right? Descartes had this very famous dictum, I think, therefore I am. Um, it, it seems like that I spend time imagining. It seems like I spend time thinking. It seems like I spend time sorting through what I think about things. So it seems like I'm rational to some degree or another. My wife may take issue with uh, <laughs> how high a degree that rationality subjective rationality extends. <laughs> it, it also it also seems like I I I fully want to mean something that I have this thirst for significance and purpose and meaning and worth that's deeper than the satisfaction of my bodily appetites. So it's not enough to get adequate sleep, to be safe in a house, to, um, uh, to have sexual release, to, to eat and to have water. Uh, it seems like there's something else that I'm on a quest for that, that goes by the label of meaning, purpose, significance. So I think I know, uh, I think I know that. I also think I know that evil exists in the world. And, um, and and that's a different thing than um, me being a mor- moral person. I think that there are things that that happen in the world that are so revolting uh, that if all it is is a different expression of evolutionary biology, that I I react to it as if it were more than that, right? Mm-hmm. There's I just I react as if there's evil, real evil in the world. Um, I also I also seem to know that there's beauty. Whether it's music or art or movies, nature, there seems to be something that promotes yearning and and like calls forth like deep um, uh, melancholy and and wonderment and yearning. Uh, that seems to be true. Um, and I, I also I also think I know that human beings are incredibly complex and um, and conscious like I'm, I'm aware of myself and there's an I that I'm aware of that's different than your consciousness of yourself and that I've learned in a very lonely kind of way that I can never enter into another person's consciousness what they're thinking and feeling uh, and and nor can someone enter into mine so so let's say let's say I know those things where are those things most at home in a universe that that where a God has existed, a personal God exists and has, whether through evolution or some other means, um, created, designed, purposed, um, superintended a process whereby those things are at home, agency, morality, so on, so on, so on. Or is it is it more likely, does it seem more probable, is it the better explanation that um, we are simply matter in motion, that when you die, it's done. There is no soul, there is no spirit, there is no afterlife. We're just merely physical beings. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and I'm sure Godless would, would say it differently than this. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but where that data set, where is that most at home? Now you can quibble with the data set. You can say, well, you're really not free. You're really not rational. Um, you really don't, you're, you're not moral. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you really don't see beauty. Uh, and some people go there. Other people say, well, listen, you can be moral without God. And I agree with that. One of Godless's big objections was, listen, Christians don't, can't cl- have the sole claim on goodness. Now, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, are there good people uh, who do not believe in God? Of course. Of course. Yeah. The scriptures say when the, the idea that, that the of original sin isn't that we're as bad as we could be. It's just that we're not as good as we could be, hmm. that, that everything's tainted. Right. And uh, even the best of our actions, there's, there's an echo of death or uh, an, an echo of selfishness or whatever it is. That, 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 but, but that, <laughs> to, for Christians to say that um, they're the sole, uh, they're, they're the sole and exclusive users of good or beers of good, um, I don't know that the Bible agrees with that because mm. the, the scriptures instruct us to learn from um, all parts of creation, including people that didn't believe in the one true God. Mm. So, so I'm not, I just, I don't buy it. So all that is to say, you could quibble with the data set. Okay, so with, with what you're saying, just so I follow and so we can kind of maybe represent mm. it, if we're talking about establishing common ground, so to speak, like mm. if we're kind of making a case and presenting where we're working from, 
if the question would be is godless do you agree maybe that that particular data set could you agree on that that you might feel the same way that yeah. you have you have free will thinking you feel, maybe feel a call of purpose in your life beyond just primal nature and behavior yep um what else did you say just bullet point uh the, the world seems incredibly complex and 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 it's called the anthropic principle that there are these cosmic constants okay that if we if they were just a shade off we wouldn't be here yeah and so it just seems like the more we find out about the universe the more ridiculous it is that yeah. life even exists at all sure um uh but yeah consciousness uh something called indexicality which is the the fact that i i seem like an irreducible i that okay. I'm an I, and we're not just sharing a consciousness. Okay. Oh yeah. Like so like awareness. Borg. Yeah. So awareness of your own consciousness, like you said. Like I. It's I, not just I, that I'm conscious, but I'm conscious of consciousness. Okay. Right. Okay. And and that there's a meanness, <laughs> a meanness, just to be clear, um, to to my awareness. Okay. Uh, you but understand I'm also how you, you exist in the awareness. Right. Okay. Right. 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 So so yes, we could argue over the data set, and and. and um, and our atheist friends could give an account in purely physiological terms of, well, here's why you feel compassion. Here's the evolutionary advantage that compassion produces. Here's why you feel love. Here's what love is. Love is this, the firing of these neurons. And when you feel love, this part of your brain lights up. Um, uh, Godless could give an account for uh, morality just in terms of culture. You know, it's community morality. You were raised in a Christian, quote, quote, American culture mm -hmm. that had um, a certain baseline set of Judeo-Christian values. And you just incorporated those. That's what your parents gave you. So that morality is nurtured rather than innate. Kind yes. Of like is you as it, exactly. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. So, so one thing Godless could do is say, no, no, I totally disagree with your data set. Right. Um, how do you know we're not? We're not. We're not. So then the question becomes, well, what's the burden of proof? And that's where you get into particularism versus methodism. Um, Im, is it is it possible for me to know something without knowing how I know it? And uh, or um, as some empiricists would say, no, no, no it's got it. If you can't verify it empirically, it's not real. Okay. Um, and uh, that's the Methodist claim. So okay. So it, it's just an interesting. So science, Mike, we had a great conversation. Well, he's he's clearly an empiricist. He's clearly a fan of the, I mean, massively a fan of the science, uh, the scientific method. But he's got this ex personal experience thing, this mystical thing that doesn't quite fit. And yet it's something he knows. Right. So, so, but again, I mean, you can say I, I had an experience of not, uh, of there being no God. Right. How do you argue with that? Right. So. So if, when people say, or if people ask me, hey, why do you believe in God? Um, I, my, my argument is God, my belief in God makes the most sense of the way I experience the world and the world that I experience. Mm -hmm. so, so I don't understand how evil, how I could have such a revulsion against evil uh, that seems cross cultures. There isn't one culture that values cowardice over courage. They just define courage differently. But, but there isn't one culture that makes the moral judgment that cowardice is better. Hmm. There isn't one culture that makes the moral judgment that torturing innocent babies for fun is acceptable. Hmm. Right? I mean, there, so there are some... Now, again, we can, we can argue about all the details, but I'm just trying to, in general, say, I come at the God question having a... Um, a, a, a sense of experience in this that I feel like I've experienced God. I feel like I've been aware of God, but I also come to it with, you know, I think I, I know things about the world and the burden of proof for me is on someone giving different explanations of those. Um, and if those things are actually things I know, to me, they're more at home in a universe where God exists mm -hmm. than not. Okay. So the, a, a complex universe, a sense of morality, a sense of consciousness, a, you know, I don't know that evolutionary theory is given satisfactory explanations of consciousness, for instance. Um, uh, and so, so that's how I approach the theist atheist. I'm not, I mean, there, there, there's an argument called the Kalam cosmological argument, which is 
Um, everything that begins has a cause. The universe began, therefore the universe is a cause. And that cause can't be part of the universe or else the universe would have always existed. The fact that it exists and started at a specific point in time suggests an agent, some sort of personal will existed prior to the coming into existence of the universe. Yeah. Right? So there you go. So there's one argument. You could do the, you could do the irreducible complexity argument uh, by um, our intelligent design brothers and sisters. I mean, there are other arguments out there, but to me, I'm a common sense kind of guy and I love the philosophical stuff, but I, 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 I find inference the best explanation to, 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 to be the argument form I use to say, uh, to talk about Jesus's resurrection. Um, so there are things that I see true historically, and there are things I see true in the gospels, and there are things that I see that are true. Um, that only makes sense if there was something like the resurrection described in the Gospels. Makes so so that's how I, I kind of approach a lot of these questions. If I'm only dealing with them in kind of the intellectual vacuum, yeah, makes sense. Yes, I now, follow that. Yes, I, okay. <laughs> so I know every now and again, every now and again, I can pull out some big words. Yeah, this is kind of this is pretty entertaining on my end. You're like the common sense guy. I'm just like I don't I don't know half these words. <laughs> well, <laughs> and I, but I'm fine with that. It's... No, 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 no. And Andy Bear, <laughs> see now. So, so the question, the question that Godless and I would would wrestle over is: Is that data set true? And then which atheism or theism which gives the better account of why those things are there and why they are the way they are? And and we'd go from there. So, I come I come at the question of Jesus in the Bible. Uh, having a prior commitment to the belief in God. So I come at the Bible um, with uh, uh, just tons of skepticism um, because the thing's so dadgum weird. And it starts, I have no problem with Genesis 1 and 2. God creates their days, blah, 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 blah. I mean, I don't think the universe is, you know, 6,000 years old. I don't think it was six literal days. I think, you know, we'll talk about Genesis another time, but we're reading Genesis in ways that Jews never intended it to be, to be read. Um, but when you get to Genesis 3 and you have a talking snake and a fruit and then, and then, and, and you, and so, so part of me just goes, okay, really? Um, and then you get God commanding genocide and then you get God uh, giving some really weird commandments. I mean, just odd, like what in the world is going on here? And then, and I see why some atheists will just look at the God of the Old Testament and say, this God is awful and wrathful and weird and schizophrenic, mm. um, you know, loving and compassionate one day and then boom, we're going to hit you with a plague. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and wow. And so, and then you get to Jesus and it's like, Jesus is just the kindest, gentlest, you know, so I get why people really wrestle with that. And that's where Godless, Godless started to really kind of go after some stuff when he's looking at the Old Testament. And, and, he, and then he said this, and this is the key, the key move he made. Because when, we, when we've talked about Old Testament stuff before, my argument always begins with, listen, the Bible itself says Jesus is the clearest picture of God. That the picture of God in Christ trumps all other pictures. So that any picture we have prior to Jesus is true of God, but not completely true. Mm -hmm. So we get a glimpse of God's wrath. We get a glimpse of God's justice. We get a glimpse of God's compassion. We get a glimpse of God. But the but Jesus, the scriptures say, is the exact representation of God's inner nature. All right. So so that's the one thing that I always say. Well, Godless has picked up on that because he's been he's been graciously listening to us along the way and said, yeah, but doesn't Jesus validate the Old Testament? And then that led Godless into a critique of the Sermon on the Mount. Mm -hmm. So so that's where I want to spend some time. How much how much time we got, Andy? How, how long have we been talking? Forty five minutes. Are you are you serious? Yeah. Oh. Well, I got a whole other thing here to do. Okay, let me just start it, and then we'll end, and then we'll do a part two. Okay. Okay. Um, so, so Godless, Godless quoted a verse that, um, and let me pull out my Bible. Hold on. Um, uh, it's in Matthew five, and this was the verse Godless was pointing to to say, "Listen, 
okay, you can't just appeal to Jesus because doesn't Jesus validate the Old Testament? And, and, um, and I'm going to say um, yes and no. Uh, the, it's more complex than, than he made it out to be. Now, again, he's not, he, he's not coming at this from a biblical scholar. He's not, so I, I'm not, I'm not at all disappointed he didn't have this stuff off the top of his head. Of course not. I mean, I don't have, I don't have Alistair Huxley and, uh, and, or Aldous Huxley and, uh, and Richard Dawkins off the top of my brain. Right. right. So, and, and the cultural expectation right. is that is like, well, if you're going to be an atheist, then you better, you know, have right. your defenses and have your attacks on at any, any point in time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. no, no, no total grace. Um, but, but here's, so he's, I, I, he's referring to this passage in Matthew 5 where it says, Jesus says, Do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Um, For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. So his argument is this, at least from what I picked up. Okay, you can say Jesus is the, the clearest picture of God and Jesus is awesome. However, doesn't Jesus right there say he came to fulfill the law and the prophets? And so how in the world can you say if, if, if the God of the Old Testament seems immoral or amoral, how can you possibly say um, Jesus is moral if Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount validates the God of the Old Testament? How, how does that follow? Mm-hmm. That's his question. Now, my big answer, at least one piece of it, is because uh, Godless also referenced, uh, it's called Iron Chariot Wiki. Um, and, and it is a take on the, um, the Sermon on the Mount, point by point. Um, and, and the sermon is quoted in the King James, which makes it a little easier to kind of take shots at it. But, but, but so he referenced that as the Sermon on the Mount is incoherent. Uh, it was the failure of Jesus to communicate well mm. uh, what his plans were. Yeah. And that was a huge point for him. And, uh, and also, um, none of us would really live this way. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense to live this way. It seems like just a jumbled mess. So, so I, my big comeback, one of them, is going to be um, that, that represents a massive failure to take Jesus seriously as a Jew. And, um, and what Jesus is doing here is he is engaging in a one-sided Jewish debate. So it would be like, it'd be similar to listening to, um, our response to godless without ever hearing godless's, um, uh, initial podcast. Right. Right. So it would just be hearing our side of a debate without having any idea about what what had prompted this whole thing. So Jesus is giving one side of a critique of a kind of Jewishness uh, that he is going to go after. So the Sermon on the Mount is one sermon. It's incredibly coherent, and it is a devastating critique on what the, the Pharisee branch of Judaism had turned Judaism into. And so he is devastating it. But he first has to disarm his opponents that were accusing him of exactly... Um, uh, of exactly undermining the Old Testament by the by, by uh, giving interpretations that seemed at odds with the prevailing Pharisaic interpretations of the Old Testament. See, I'm going to say Jesus actually does bring correction to some of the Old Testament. He absolutely does, but not correction in the sense of it was wrong, but correction in the sense that it was partial. It was a shadow pointing to a reality. Mm-hmm. So Jesus is actually going to do some genius stuff with the Sermon on the Mount. But he's doing it not as this piece of morality in a vacuum, although I think it stands on its own that way. He's doing it actually as part of a dialogue against the Pharisee view of what it meant to be the people of God. Mm-hmm. And so, because what Matthew does, Matthew's the most Jewish of the Gospels, and Matthew... Matthew orients his entire gospel around five big discourses of Jesus. Now, Matthew's Jewish. What's the number five if you're Jew? If you're a Jew, what's the number five represent? I don't know. Okay, the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. Okay. All right. Um, and you're not Jewish, you're Filipino-American. That's right. Or Caucasian. How do you say that? Filipino-Caucasian. 
right? I, it's because American can be anything. It's yeah, dumb, for sure. Yeah, I'd have to say I'd say Filipino Caucasian. Okay. But then is how, how, inac- how, how inaccurate how inaccurate is Filipino? How inaccurate is Caucasian as a terminology though? Because I, mean, I I name it. I, I claim it loud and proud. In fact, I don't let, I don't let anyone call me white. I, I make them call me a Caucasian American. Total side. I, it's 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 a hard side note not to go down. But I I even feel bad for folks that are white that like yeah, Caucasian sums up them too. Because I'm like, well, if you're English, German, and French, like that that yeah, dismisses that Cauca- all yeah. the, all the cultural background. You, you know what? Thank you, thank you. Because I am. I'm. I'm that's those, that, clearly, that's what my Caucasian is made up of. Clearly, so. <laughs> doesn't mean anything. White white. Men have been underrepresented at the cultural table. Yes. So thank you for sticking up for us. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> um, so back to back to Sermon on the Mount. Um, so so it's so it's unbelievable. So what Matthew does is he takes five discourses, and they each represent um, together. They represent the five books of Moses. Now they're not word. They're, he's not paralleling the individual books. But when Jesus is the Sermon on the Mount, so-called, is because Jesus here is giving his statement of God's purposes in the way that Moses on a mountainside received and delivered the law to the people. Mm-hmm. So, so, so Jesus is engaging with Moses on the one hand, but he has in his sights the Pharisees. So even before we get to the sermon, we have to talk about the Pharisees. We have to talk about what they were doing and why they were doing it and how, how Jesus in one way was most like them, but because he was most like them, he, they, they most hated him because mm-hmm. he should have known better. Mm-hmm. So, so Jesus is going to do a magnificent, I mean, it's, it's absolutely brilliant what he does in the Sermon on the Mount. And I think that will go a little way towards diffusing the objection that Jesus just looked at the Old Testament and said, yep, he didn't do that. He was doing something different than that. And it was threatening to the people who looked at the Old Testament and said, yep. Um, you, so you've got to understand Jesus is actually doing uh, partially the thing that Godless is accusing him of not doing. And so um, uh, because only then do the objections Jesus is countering actually make sense. Sure. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. So take that. Andy Bear. Right. I mean, it's it's in the same, it's like, I, I guess, a, an alignment or an analogy in our modern day is a lot of folks now talking about the racism issue is like, you know, you know, white America has to speak into white America to fix the racism of the white side. It's like, I, I hear that commonly. Like, you have to come from that to be a solution to it because it's like trying to. Yes. Like, oh, a, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like, had. So, yeah. and that goes to the purpose of Jesus. The, the first purpose of Jesus, and Jesus is really clear about this, when he walked the earth, it was to the Jewish nation. Yeah. Right? There were a couple of exceptions that scandalized his Jewish contemporaries. But my goodness, he was so clear. I'm here for the Jews. Mm-hmm. Salvation is from the Jews. And so Jesus came first to correct Israel. And that's why we, we believe so strongly if he came today, would first correct the church mm-hmm. um, and correct Israel too. I mean, he, he's always correcting God's people. Um, first, and uh, and so 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 Jesus is coming with a um, and this is N. T. Wright. Uh, he does such a masterful job at presenting this picture that Jesus is coming with a fresh vision of what Israel should be, which is in alignment with with God's purposes for Israel, but due to corruption, the darkness of human hearts, the generations uh, that had gone by, that all of that had been corrupted, and so to some degree, Jesus stands in judgment of how the Old Testament had been working itself out by the time of Jesus. And so he, you know, he symbolically shuts down the temple. He declares that all foods are clean, even though the Old Testament said, no, some food's unclean. Uh, Jesus uh, went after the, the passage in Deuteronomy that permitted divorce as long as you gave a written certificate for it. So Jesus says, nope, that was actually a temporary measure for the hardness of human hearts. So Jesus actually, he's actually, he's going after some stuff. Now, again, he's not standing in opposition to the Old Testament properly understood. He's standing in opposition to the way the Old Testament had been worked out Mm -hmm. in the lives of very sinful people. Mm -hmm. In the same way, he would stand against the way the church has been worked out in in the lives of very sinful people. So... Does that make sense? Yes. So, yeah. yes. So, Jesus comes as a Jew, but you have to understand him as a Jew first. Now, you still may disagree. Godless still may go, man, because he said this. He said, there are parts of the Bible that I simply don't agree with in the moral judgments they make. Okay. Th- then we're, th- then I, there's nothing I'm going to say that is um, going to convince you. 
except maybe this. Perhaps what you are objecting against is the working out of something God said rather than the thing God said himself, especially held in balance with all the other things that God says. So for instance, back to Jeremy, is it possible to hold the non-affirming view that the ideal, that the biblical ideal seems to be one man, one woman, one covenant, one lifetime, but that every single person has fallen short of that ideal? So, so, so cause, because the, the, the Bible seems universal in condemning any sexual activity outside of that ideal. And it seems um, universal in condemning certain kinds of activity even in the ideal. In other words, if I'm lusting after uh, another woman or coveting another man's wife or, or um, so, so, so if, if somebody says, listen, the non-affirming view uh, promotes hate, um, I understand why somebody may say that. And I'm not saying I'm fully comfortable with the non-affirming view, right? I mean, we've said yeah. Jesus would critique both. Yes. And so there are parts of the non-affirming view I don't agree with. Um, uh, and there are parts of the affirming view I, I don't agree with. And so I, I have a tough time putting myself in the conversation as one or the other. Um, but I do insist that people can hold the affirming view graciously and people can hold the non-affirming view graciously. Mm -hmm. And that's actually what needs to happen if we're to do anything to resolve uh, the animosity between the two positions. Yeah. So, so we've got some folks in Vox who hold the affirming view, but they hold the affirming view in a way that makes room for people who don't hold the affirming view. And we've got people hold who hold the non-affirming view, but they hold it in a way that makes room for the people who hold the affirming view. Yep. And last I checked, as people all in process, that's how this has got to work, right? So with Godless, um, I, I wonder if some of the um, critique of the Old Testament isn't the Old Testament as God's heart expressed it as it, it would have been revolutionary for its day in its time in its culture versus how it's gotten played out today yeah and um and so so that's the one piece i go well maybe i can open um godless up to the possibility that the way jesus has been presented isn't quite the way jesus was um the maybe the maybe the white male-dominated American church who values individualism uh, over everything. Uh, maybe we haven't painted Jesus well, um, and we need to get back to a more Middle Eastern Jewish picture of Jesus. Um, and, and, and perhaps then he may have different objections, but those objections would be truer probably to who he is and who he was uh, rather than some. Uh, so maybe, maybe that's maybe. the only, maybe that's the only thing. So Godless, we're going to let you know this is out here and, uh, and you know, I'm sure you're yelling at, uh, in your home office right now, beautiful Irish countryside. Birds are now scurrying, you know, flying away because of your yelling. You guys are uh, crazy or misrepresenting, whatever it is you're yelling. Um, as <laughs> or, or the fact that we're not done. I mean, this is, yes, yeah, this, yeah. <laughs> this was a long tease for part two. So anyway, Godless. Blessings to you, Jeremy. Blessings to you, all all of the people who are working out affirming and non-affirming. Blessings to you, all of the people that are here, uh, who aren't uh, Jesus followers, but you've been willing to to stay tuned. Blessings to you, and all the people that want to follow Jesus more beautifully. Blessings to you. Um, we're so privileged to do this and to be a part of of whatever you're doing right now. So, uh, signing off from the master bedroom the Vox Home Office in Brea, California. Um, let's do a blessing, Andy. And um, why don't you do one, man? You never do anything. You just sit there and... <laughs> I do things. On the spot, I'm not going to be able to do it. I'll fumble. You're not? Nope. Oh, man. Okay. Um, all right. Well, I got one. Yeah. I got one. Of course you do. You know what? Yeah, because I'll do stuff on the spot. This is one of my favorites. So this is, this is a verse from the Bible. So, so you may want to turn this off. Uh, lest you uh, lest you open yourself up to the beauty and power of the word of God. <laughs> the the room, the master bedroom just turned into the most holy places yes, upon opening it. The Shekinah glory <laughs> came down. No, this one this one is one of my favorite uh, benedictions. So um it, it comes from Hey Jude. Mm -hmm. You know, Paul McCartney wrote a song about this book of the Bible. It's great. Um 
And it says this. So, so men and women, brothers and sisters, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages now and forevermore. Amen. Until next time, that was, that was awfully bible That was awfully bible But, you know, we couldn't help ourselves. <laughs> okay, until next time, bye. Thanks for listening to Vox, the Mike Erie podcast. Be sure to like Mike on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash official Mike Erie. Follow Mike on Twitter and Periscope at Mike Erie for live interaction and ongoing Q&A. Don't forget to visit subversivekingdom.com for further engagement and information about Mike.